uh, I was, Ed was talking to me earlier, and he was saying, you know, I, I got dressed up, but Ange, you didn't say get knotted up like you normally do, so I didn't wear a tie today. But uh, it's even good to see some of you remember that we knot up on Easter Sunday. It's great, um, but it's great to have everybody here this morning, and we're really delighted that we can be celebrating Resurrection Sunday together. It's a special day for me, and you'll hear about that certainly in the sermon this morning. But I was thinking about um, the sermon today and thinking about Resurrection Sunday. And, um, you know, there was a question in my life that uh, was, was asked of me. Um, and it was asked of my wife's father when uh, we first met. And uh, the question goes, Ange, have you ever wanted a new life? Uh, we were at breakfast together and he asked me that question. And... Um, I thought to myself and said, oh, man, I've wanted a new life many, many different times in my life, especially when things went wrong. How about you? Have you ever wanted a new life? Yeah, I think, I think we all want a new life. And, you know, he was asking me that question because he was trying to get the perspective of a man on the street because I was uh, the street guy that he knew. You know, I was sort of out in the street and he was making a booklet up. It's called Have You Wanted a New Life? And this was 1978, 79. And his goal was, is he would go out in the, the street and bring seminary students there for practical theology, and they would start preaching out on street corners, and they would hand this out, and they would use it to present the gospel. And uh, so that question, have you, have you ever wanted a new life? Have you ever felt there was something important missing in your life? What do you think? Ever felt that way? Something important you didn't know what? Hmm, Maybe. So that's one of the questions that I think all of us ask. And it's at different times of our lives, um, I think we want a new life. And that, that's one thing we're going to be looking at today as we look at the resurrection. And the next thing is, and it's connected with this, and you may, may need to work with this a little bit to connect it for you. But um, when you think about the term dry bones, what do you think about? Anybody? When you think about the term dry bones, what do you think about? Dead people. There you go. Right. You think about dead people, right? Super Mario Brothers, they got dead bones killing people, right? I mean, there's all kinds of stuff like that. But dry bones. You think about dead people. But what does it symbolize? Like if it's used in the Bible, what are some of the things that you think it might symbolize? If you think about death, what goes along with death? What are some words that might go along with death? How about the word hopelessness? Or the word dissatisfied, unfulfilled, helplessness, oppressed and bitter, uncertainty, that whole sense that all is lost. I'm abandoned. I'm abandoned by people. I'm abandoned by God. This is the idea of drying bones. It symbolizes this idea of, of what's going on in people's lives and this experience of that sense of abandonment and hopelessness and despairing. And so we can see that experiencing dry bones would lead to a person wanting a new life. Would that not be true? If I felt that way, would I not want a new life? Think about that for a second. And maybe you've experienced this and you've, you've really said, Lord, I need a new life. Or you wanted to try a new life or you wanted to try something different. So what this sermon is going to show is how Jesus' resurrection gives new life. And it's going to begin by looking at a prophetic vision from Ezekiel 
in Ezekiel 37, which is about the valley of dry bones. And here's what you need to know. The people receiving this message have lost all hope. These are people of Israel who have been in exile for almost 70 years. They've lost their country. They've lost their homes. They've lost their families. They've lost all sense of identity. Uh, they're, they're oppressed and they're in slavery. And they think that God has abandoned them. And now God brings this prophetic vision of dry bones. And so we're going to read through Ezekiel 37. So we can start reading through it. Put that up, John. That'd be great. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. You can put the first picture up. There it is. That sense of he was put in the middle of a valley full of bones. Wow. Verse 2, he led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, and the bones were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? And I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. So you can show us that next picture. Just bones for as far as he could see. And God says, can these bones live? And Ezekiel had no answer except to say, God, you're the only one who knows. And then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, breathe from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they May live. This is the same word used when God breathed into man when he created them. The same word. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. So you put that next picture up. You can see the bones coming to life. How amazing would that be? That you could see the bones themselves tendons and flesh coming to life. This is the God who can make dry bones live. How amazing is this? And then he goes on in verse 11. And then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We're cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says my people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And then you, will, you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. And so here is this prophetic promise that he's going to raise these people up again. He's going to bring them back. And what we know is, because we studied Malachi not too long ago, is that the people did come back. And they did actually rebuild the temple. But here's the thing. 
Not all of that promise was fulfilled in that very moment, right? Because what we know is the idea of the Spirit being put in their hearts and them being His people, that hadn't quite happened yet because even in their own land, they were still oppressed and their hearts were still rebellious and they were waiting. They were still waiting for that promised Messiah, the Good Shepherd and the King. All of this pointing to a greater resurrection, the resurrection of the son of Abraham, the son of David, the king from the line of David, from the word that became flesh, the son who was the radiance of God's glory. And I'm going to use the word today, the champion. Why would I use that word today, the champion? Because I'm going to have you guys do something with me. How many of you remember a song by a musician called Carmen, called The Champion? Anybody old enough to remember that? So for the young people here, because you're going to help me with this, uh, especially kids' church, I want you guys to be yelling along when I get you into that place. What he does is he takes this idea of this Savior coming and the fight between Satan and Jesus himself, and he puts it in the context of a great fight, a boxing match. And who is going to be the champion? How is this going to happen? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read a little bit this to you for you guys to get a feel for it. But at the end, it's going to come up on here because God does something different at the end. And it's going to be a count. And I'm going to ask all of you, our, who, who's kids church? Who's in kids church here? All right. Definitely our kids church people. But any of our other children, either younger or older, if you want to join in. And if you're an adult and you want to join in, that's fine. I want you guys to do the numbers in the countdown when it comes up. But let's get a feel for this. All right, here we go. In the vast expanse of a timeless place where silence ruled the outer space, ominously towering it stood the symbol of a spirit of war between the one named Lucifer and the morning star, the ultimate good. Enveloped by trillion planets, clean as lightning and as hard as granite, a cosmic coliseum would host the end of the war between the Lord of sin and death and the omnipotent creator of man's first breath. Who will decide who forever will be the champion? And I was, I was thinking about this and reading, I was thinking, how many of you guys have seen the Avengers Infinity, Infinity Wars and Endgame? Anybody? Yeah, look at all those hands. This was so much more than that. This was universal. This was powers and principalities. This was all of creation. Get a picture of this. The audience for the fight of the ages was assembled and in place. The angels came in splendor from a star. The demons arrived offensive and vile, cursing and blaspheming God. The bell, the crowd, the fight was on. And the devil leaped in fury with all his evil tricks. He came undone. He threw the jabs of hate and lust, a stab of pride and envy. But the hand that knew no sin blocked everyone. Forty days and nights they fought and Satan couldn't touch him. Now the final blow saved for the final round. Prophetically, Christ's hands came down. And Satan struck in vengeance. The blow of death felled Jesus to the ground 
for he was wounded for our transgressions. The devils roared in victory. The saints shocked and perplexed as wounds appeared upon his hands and feet. Then Satan kicked him in his side and blood and water flowed. And now you can put that on. And God the Father turned his head, his tears announcing Christ was dead. The ten count would proclaim the battle's end. Then Satan trembled through his sweat in unexpected horror yet. So now I need you guys to do the countdown, okay? And I'll read in between it. As God started the count by saying, Hey, wait a minute, God. Stop! You're counting wrong. His eyes are moving. His fingers are twitching. Where's all this light coming from? He's alive. Oh, no. Oh, yes. He has. He has won. He has won. He's alive forevermore. He's risen. He is Lord. He has won. He has won. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Hallelujah. Do you get a sense of that this morning? How amazing it is. Paul gives us a picture of this resurrection reality in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 57. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. Hallelujah. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory to our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. From perishable to imperishable. Think about that. Imperishable. It means we will never decay again. We will never suffer again. We will never experience death again. Hallelujah. The power of sin and death is defeated. Resurrection power brings dry bones to life. This is where the new life we want begins. Let's look at this now. Where does this new life begin? It begins with dry bones being made alive. But what we need to understand is not just the physical, but more importantly, the spiritual. So let's read from Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. As for you, You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh 
and following its desires and thoughts like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Let's get back to that, okay? This idea of following our desires and thoughts like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. That wrath was the, basically the, the wages of the sin that is in our life, the rebellion in our life. And what's being talked about here is that even though we were alive in the flesh, we were dead in the spirit. We were the walking dead. We were the zombie movies. This is who we are. The walking dead. That's why when Joan Baez says in that quote, we are orphans in a world of no tomorrow. Think about that. Even successful people, when they get to the end, they're like, there is no answer here. Everybody, at some point or another, is appointed to death in the tomb. There is no answer. It doesn't matter how much money I have. It doesn't matter how many things I've done. Eventually, there will be me and there will be death. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Get that? Will live even though they die. Even though we experience that physical death, we will live because our bones have come alive in Christ through resurrection power. We will live. Think about that for a second. We will live forever, imperishable. Hallelujah. So what is it that God is doing even in this moment now for us who believe? Here's what he's done. He's opened the door for our dry bones to live. He's brought forgiveness. He's brought reconciliation. He's given us adoption as the children of God and fills us with the Holy Spirit, the one who's imperishable, the Spirit of Christ himself. How amazing is this? Think about this. The offer is here right now. And for us who believe, what's happened to us? We've become new. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we are new creations. If you believe in Jesus, if you've come to him, your bones have been made alive. You're a new creation. All of you is alive, physically and spiritually. It says Christ in you, the hope of glory. Get that? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Eternity. Living with the God of the universe. Doing things that we can't even imagine because it'll be so amazing. Having bodies like Christ's resurrection body. Bodies that will no longer be tired. Bodies that will no longer have pain. There will no longer be sin. There'll be no longer the things in this earth. There'll be no longer a death that we have to worry about. Who knows what lays before us? Have you thought about that? Have you been captured by that thought? 
kind of world are we living in? We see death all around us. We can be so full of fear, we miss what we have. And what Christ has done. That's why the resurrection is so important. I think about you young people today. And how desperately we pray that you know. That you know in your heart that there is resurrection and that you've been made alive. And there is a God who's with you. And that's, that's where we go with this. When, when we've been made alive, we begin to walk in newness of life. That's where I want to go with this. How do we walk in this newness? We have a new life. And there's no greater thing in the world. We have been made new in Christ. We have been changed forever. Think about that. How do I walk in newness of life? It says in Romans 6, 4, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, listen, we too might walk in newness of life. We too might walk in newness of life. How does that happen? Well, here's what you need to know. What is the resurrection provided? How does that death and resurrection now interpret itself in our lives as we've come to the Lord Jesus and we've known that forgiveness and we've known that reconciliation in our hearts and we know that we're now adopted sons and daughters? How does that happen? Well, do we recognize that we are now partakers of the divine nature. Huh? We are partakers of the divine nature. The Holy Spirit of God now reigns in us. Ephesians tells us that it's given as a seal, a deposit guaranteeing our future. Guaranteeing that we have an inheritance that's never going to spoil or fade guaranteeing that on the other side of the grave for us is glory in the new heavens and the new earth. Hallelujah. That we are partakers of the divine nature. Grab that thought for a second. We have fellowship with God. Seriously? Yes. We have fellowship with God himself through the Holy Spirit, through the word of God through our praying together, through our speaking together in love with one another, we are partaking of the very nature of God. Hallelujah. We have a peace which surpasses understanding, an inexpressible joy that goes deeper than our sorrows. We drink from a spring of living water and eat the bread of life. Think about it for a second. Have you ever experienced that peace? Have you ever been in a very hard circumstances and you ask people to pray for you? I've had that happen so many times in my life. And here's the thing that happens for me. I, I start feeling all this peace, and then I start feeling guilty that I have that peace. Ever happened to you? Oh, I, can't, I mean, really, I shouldn't really have this peace. There's something wrong with me. Like, I'm not emotional. I'm not really sensitive enough. 
you know, Ange, you're not sensitive. Or is it, thank you, God, that you've given me peace, which surpasses understanding. Thank you that you're hearing my prayer. And how, on a Resurrection Sunday, can I have a joy that goes deeper than the sorrows of everything around me? Because that joy goes deeper. It's a joy that's been given to us because for the joy set before him, he endured the shame of the cross, that we even know at the bottom of all that sorrow, there is something greater in Christ. And that we become people of living hope because we have a certain future. And we can bring hope in the heart of circumstances. And listen, sometimes we, we can be our own worst enemy because sometimes we want to bring the hope before we even hear what's going on in a person's life, before we really hear their sorrow and what's going on with them. We have to listen. But then we can speak of a hope. We walk in newness of life. As we walk, we do this. I love what 2 Corinthians 4 says. Therefore, we do not lose heart. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I love this. We're wasting away, but inwardly we're being renewed. You see, our dry bones are now alive and they're continuing to be renewed. The Holy Spirit is in us. Every day I can go to a living spring that God has given us, the well that I can go to again and drink from it. I can drink from it. I can eat of the bread of life. I can come to the living God and he renews me in my spirit. And as my spirit is renewed, literally my physical sense is renewed in many, many ways. And as I begin moving in this direction, I begin to live being compelled by the love of God. Compelled by the love of God. No longer my own love of self, but actually the Holy Spirit gets me to think about somebody else. How amazing is that? How amazing is that, that I can wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and you guys are on my heart and I'm praying for you when I should be saying, why am I not asleep? Why is it that I can look at someone and even though they irritate me, but they need help and the love of God says, help, and I step in help. What is it in me? It's a newness to life that we are compelled by the love of God rather than the love of self. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Have you been moved by the love of Christ in your heart lately? Have you done something that your flesh basically says don't do? 
the newness of life in you. That's what God is doing in us. We walk in this newness. How many of you had conviction this week? Conviction from the Holy Spirit as to the way you were treating someone or the way you were thinking about people or the way you were treating your spouse or your children or children, how you were treating your parents or your friends or your siblings. Was there a conviction in your heart? It means the Holy Spirit is in you. It means that that new life is in you. It means that the spirit of love is saying to you, let me out. I love what Spurgeon says about this new life. You have a quote there. Once you lived for what you could get for yourself, you lived for the passing pleasures of a fleeting life, but now you have launched upon eternal seas. Eternity holds your treasures. Eternity excites your efforts. Eternity elevates your desires. You live as seeing him who is invisible, and your conduct is controlled, not by judgment of fallible men and women. Let me read that again. And your conduct is controlled, not by judgment of fallible men and women, but by the rule of a heart-searching God. That's my testimony. That's my testimony. For 28 years, I was all about myself. From 16 to 28, it was all about my own pleasures in life, about what I wanted. God was a killjoy. I was the God of my life. I made my own decisions. I did what I wanted to do. If I wanted to do drugs, I did drugs. If I wanted to party, I partied. If I wanted to have sex, I would go have sex. If I wanted all these things that I thought were freedom and all that God was giving me. And here's what I found out. I found out that they were empty, that they didn't satisfy, that I was in a vicious circle that I couldn't get out of, that I was trapped in. These things did not help my fears because the moment I was sober again or wasn't high again, all of those things would be in my mind and heart. My situation had not changed. I was still going to die. I was still going to face the God of the universe one-on-one. I tried different things. tried transcendental meditation. I got my mantra. And for a while there, all of us thought we were in a higher plane. So one of our friends crossed another friend, and then we were all enemies. Where did it go? Tried so many different things. I was living a life of dry bones. Are you living a life of dry bones today? There's one who's come and brings dry bones to life.
I met my wife. We were both living with dry bones when we met. And then God worked in her life in a very powerful way. And I saw a woman whose countenance changed, whose attitudes changed right before my eyes. And she said to me, have you ever read the word of God on your own? You try all these other things. Have you ever read the word of God on your own? And I began to read. And as I read, I met Jesus. I met the resurrection and the life. And on Sunday, April 6, 1980, a resurrection Sunday, I heard a resurrection sermon. And it was time for these dry bones to come to life. And I left that service and we got home and I said, I just got to go into the bedroom by myself. And it was there that I met Jesus as Saul did on the road to Damascus. And when I humbled myself before him, I admitted all of my being God and searching for the things that I thought were going to give me pleasure. Recognized my rebellion and just came to him in humility and asked for that forgiveness and reconciliation. My bones were brought to life. And I haven't stopped since that day. I have been walking in newness of life. The moment I did that, I did not have another desire for drugs. I noticed that my dream life began to change. My values began to change. I began to want to do things that I'd never done before. I began to say, I need to ask people for forgiveness. Come on, really? An Italian like me asking people for forgiveness? You've got to be kidding. But this is what God was doing in my life. I had to pay taxes. What? Pay taxes? you got to be kidding. But this is what God does. And he brings newness of life, brothers and sisters. That's what he's offering us today. And, and here's the thing. When you begin walking in newness to life, you can bring hope to the valley of dry bones that we're living in today. Right? Think about it for a second. What are the dry bones of our day? Certainly the impact of COVID-19. The disregard for life seen and the many shootings and violence on our streets and in our schools. The racial tensions, the political upheaval, economic instability, the poverty in our cities the wars and rumors of wars, the hatred and anger directed at people with different perspectives, the brokenness of so many families and homes. But because of who we are, walking in newness of life, we can come and we can bring those witnesses that it tells us in Ephesians, I'm sorry, in Acts 1, 
Let me just read it, verses 7 and 8. He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We who are walking in newness become the witnesses. We have been changed. We are new creatures. i got to say, I look back, 1980. That was 43 years ago. What? 1980. It was 43 years ago. And I can just see the steady walk of the Spirit of my... I mean, guys, I'm a pastor. That's just absurd. Truly. If, I mean, if you, if you were hanging around with the guys that I hung around with, even now they're amazed that I'm a pastor. Those who are still living. Because many of them have died. And where has God taken me? He's taken me on so many adventures that I would never been on. So many places around the world where I was able to proclaim this good news that you can have your dry bones brought to life. And I've seen that happen. I've seen it happen in my family. I've seen it on deathbeds. Because I have. I'm able to walk in newness of life to what he's given me. I was thinking about that. You know, just, just thinking about us. You know, it, it doesn't have to be these grand things. You know, when we, when we read the books of Acts, in chapter 2 and chapter 4, it's literally talking to them about having, they're just living together. They're loving one another and they're loving other people and they're bringing them in. And as they're doing that, the love of Christ is being shown and people are, are seeing this wonderful need and resurrection power all alive and they're being drawn into Jesus. What's the church like today? Are we doing that? Or are we living in great fear? Are you afraid you're going to get canceled by your classmates, by your workers that you work with, by your family? But we're walking in newness of life. Barbara and I just had an experience of that. We were just in Florida with good friends. They said, hey, we have these friends that we just met. Um, you know, we, we, we've been talking about what God has done in our life. Uh, we, would you want to have dinner with them? We have dinner with them. It turns out that the one son is struggling with drugs. Oh, who can tell his story? I guess I have a story to tell. And as we tell the story, their hearts are open. They're given hope. We pray. We talk about these things. Simple witness, right? I was, the other day, I still read the newspaper, yes. I know many of you don't. My sons keep saying to me, Dad, you can read it on the computer. I said, no, I want my coffee in my hand and the paper in my hand. But in the inquiry, here's this piece. This woman speaks with boldness. She says, but in preparing for Lent, the 40 days before Easter, I had to reflect on what Jesus wants me to do with a hardened heart towards others, especially as it applies to the current political and ideological divide in our country Jesus was not political, but he was revolutionary. Love your enemy. Do good to those that hurt you. Pray for those who persecute you, he commanded. And it goes on in sharing how this was happening in her life. This is the inquire. She's probably canceled by now. 
but she was willing to be that witness in writing this. We have brothers and sisters who are going to different school board meetings, and what they're doing is they're just praying outside. They're just gathering in prayer and praying for God to be at work. Walking in newness. Resurrection power. Bringing dry bones to life. My last encouragement is this Wednesday we'll be continuing our prayer meetings on revival and awakening. I encourage you to join us in doing that. Would it be that we would see more and more revivals that took place in Kentucky? Would it be amazing to hear that this was happening in the city of Philadelphia? That God was at work in such powerful ways that people were repenting and handing in their guns? What would that be like? That's the power. Taking dead bones and bringing them to life. If you're here today, whether you're young or old, it's time, if you've never come, to say, Lord, bring life to my dry bones. Come to him. Do what I did. Go home and go to the bedroom until you come out fully alive by God's grace. May God bless us and make us a resurrection people. Do you have confidence that he can bring the dry bones to life in your families and in your neighborhoods? Let's pray for one another and let's live it out together. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I just come to you this morning and How can I not thank you for who you are and what you've done? How can I not say thank you that your answer, can these dry bones live, is yes. They can live in resurrection. They can become imperishable. They can be those who never experience uh, that death again. They can be those whose lives move with a new power because they're new creations. And because of that, we can be used to bring this wonderful hope that is ours in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Hallelujah that we have a Savior who is risen, who's defeated death, who's defeated sin, who's taken our place and now lives as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And in each heart that has come and says, I believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior. Work in our hearts, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing.